0: Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about Zero Trust Network Access. It's my privilege to be speaking with Lisa Lorenzen, Director, Emerging Technology Solutions with Zscaler. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, it's really nice to be here. Thank you, Tom.
0: So, Lisa, let's just start out with this. Why Zero Trust Network Access? Why now?
1: We've seen over the past few years, really the past couple decades, a big migration in how users access applications. Applications that were formerly hosted in data centers have started to move to cloud services, first as software as a service, and then as infrastructure or platform as a service. And that transition has addressed both applications that were traditionally publicly exposed as well as applications that were not. So, information and resources that you don't necessarily want to make available to everyone, but you do want to make available to all of your employees, no matter where those employees sit and take advantage of the scalability and flexibility of a cloud service. The corollary to that is that users have also migrated from primarily on-premise with the off-premise use cases being exceptional to a much more even balance of on and off premise and even some organizations where most of the employees are mobile or remote. So you have these two transitions, data moving out of the data center, users moving out of the enterprise perimeter. And what that means is we need a new security model to address this world of application access. 20 some years ago, I worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield in North Carolina and we had a pretty traditional network security approach. We had a big firewall at the edge of the network. It controlled all traffic inbound and outbound. And if a user was remote and needed to come in, they made a VPN connection through the perimeter to come into the internal network and access those resources. We're still doing that today, but with the shift in applications and in users, that means that now bringing a user into the data center may still work for some resources, But you may then have to backhaul them to other locations, which is always true. You may have to bring them over a site to site VPN to a cloud provider rather than allowing them to go direct. And they may have a different experience when they're off premise than when they're on premise. So the goal really is to eliminate all three of those constraints and to say, we want to enable a user to have access to the resources necessary to be productive and do their job. And we want them to have a minimum overhead to do so. You don't have to think about whether you're on or off premise. You don't have to think about or even know whether that application runs in the data center or in the cloud. You just connect to an application and if you're authorized to access it, it's there for you. That's a little harder to deliver with traditional technologies that were very network centric. So the idea of zero trust network access is to start from the assumption that we don't necessarily trust you, whether you're on-premise or off-premise, and you don't have a harder or easier time getting to an application, whether it's in the data center or the cloud. We start with a clean slate, and that's where the zero trust component comes in, but then we figure out who you are, possibly what device you're on, possibly other attributes about you or your session, and we connect you to that application So this is where the network access component comes in. You should be able to reach the things you're authorized for. You should be unable to reach or even see the things that you aren't. And it should be based on what we can determine about that particular request. So Zero Trust Network Access is really an attempt to address the shifts in user mobility and application mobility that have happened over the past 20 years.
0: Lisa, I'm glad you mentioned VPN a few minutes ago. How is the zero-trust network access movement different from VPN and other things we've attempted before in network security?
1: There's actually two eras of that answer. How are we different from VPN and how are we different from the initial phases of zero-trust? So with a virtual private network, the idea is that when the user leaves the corporate network, we construct a virtual private network to them. And that was traditionally done over an IPsec VPN, creating a layer three tunnel and effectively connecting the endpoint to the network. And that construct evolved a little bit into an SSL VPN, where we created a TLS tunnel between a user and a web enabled application, or even enabled some fat client applications, but still carried over that SSL TLS connection. In both of these cases, the concept was that you're really extending the network. And there's a number of challenges with that. If you connect a user to a network, then you have the considerations of lateral movement and what they can reach within that network. So you need a corresponding security control for what they can get to inside of the network. And that takes a number of different forms of network segmentation from ACLs on routers to access policies in firewalls to network access control solutions at layer two or layer three and even up to access policies inside the VPN tunnel itself. So the complexity of a VPN really starts to become apparent when you have users connecting from multiple locations, you have to bring them into one ingress point and then backhaul them everywhere else. And you also have the question of how do you handle users that are already on premise and you aren't bringing them through that control point. So the initial first attempts to address the concept of zero trust, to say we don't trust you anymore inside the network than outside the network, we're again focused on network-centric security technologies. Google is the primary reference architecture for this new concept of a software-defined perimeter, where the perimeter isn't the edge of the enterprise network, but rather a concept that applies between the user and the application. And Google built a software-defined perimeter solution that they called Google Beyond Corp. Their idea was to go beyond the corporate network, so you have the same access and visibility sitting in Starbucks that you do sitting on-premise at Google, but Google security administrators have the same visibility and control for their on-premise users as their off-premise users, and Google built this with the existing network-based technologies, so 802.1x and Radius for port-based admission control at layer two, and then Access proxies for identity-aware access control at layer three, but the challenge there is it's really complicated. It's difficult to lock down all of your wireless connections and all of your wired ports. It takes a lot of coordination to capture these packets at the network layer when the decision you're making is at an application basis. So. What we're seeing is that there was a lot of demand for a solution that provided the visibility and granularity of control that BeyondCorp offers. But most organizations don't have the resources of a Google, and they also don't have the highly technical user community. So if you are a dentist's office and you need to offer access control to dentists and hygienists and receptionists, you're not going to be able to ask them to jump through a lot of hoops. And if you're a multinational company that has locations around the world and, you know, hundreds of thousands of endpoints to contend with, you're really not going to be able to build the type of security at the network layer without a whole lot of effort. So what we're seeing today is that there are new approaches to zero-trust network access that take advantage of the agility, flexibility, and scale of the cloud so that we can apply the same solutions to application access that something like Amazon or Azure already offered application hosting. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but it, it inspires a follow-up, which is why do you believe that zero trust network access is more likely to succeed than the other attempts we've made?
1: Oh, because we're offloading some of the complexity. So if you can, instead of having to lock down every port, instead of having to define every subnet or every IP segment, If you can say, here's a set of applications, and here's the user community that needs to access those applications, and then you can leverage a cloud service for enforcement of your security policies and then delivery of traffic in accordance with those policies, that means there's a lot less to build. You don't need a VPN concentrator that has an open ingress point to the internet, so it has to be inside of DMZ firewalls. And to scale it, you need to cluster multiple appliances and then load balance them locally and then have probably even global server load balancing across multiple sites. And you don't have to protect that open ingress point the way you would normally with a denial of service protection. Instead, you can move policy and enforcement into the cloud. Some solutions allow you to do that without having that listener to the internet, without having that exposed attack surface. So, if you look for a solution such as Zscaler's private access, we make an outbound only connection from the application environment to the cloud. We make an outbound connection from the user agent to the cloud. And then we carry the traffic when it's authorized for the user's access through the cloud to the drop off location that's closest to the application. So, you get all of the functionality of that stack of appliances. You get load balancing. You get traffic distribution across both internal and multiple global sites. You get seamless direct access to applications in the data center at the same time as you do in one cloud provider, at the same time as you do in another cloud provider. The user doesn't have to think about where the application resides. The administrator gets full visibility and control of that traffic. So I think that zero trust network access is more likely to succeed today Because organizations can focus on the security policy elements, on identifying their application resources, and identifying their user communities, and building a set of access policies that enable users to access the resources, rather than trying to focus on how do they lock out unwanted access.
0: Lisa, talk to me a little bit about the technologies themselves. What are the key capabilities and architectures?
1: Well, we already jumped into that a little bit. I would say that the fundamental components are identity and policy and delivery. So, for identity, that's not really just a user identity anymore. It's almost a compound identity that refers to a single user session. So, if I am let's say I'm in the emerging technologies group at Zscaler and I'm on a corporate asset that has full disk encryption and has our MBM solution on it, and I'm coming from inside the United States, then I may have a totally different set of security policies applied than if I'm using a personal device that is unmanaged and I'm coming from outside the United States. So identity ties back into something like a SAML identity provider, It can also tie back into endpoint security and endpoint compliance solutions. So you assemble a set of attributes about the user, about the device, about the connection itself. And that forms the identity for that specific application request. And then that feeds into policy. And policy can be set based on all of those considerations to enable users to have a very consistent user experience within those guardrails. So one of the biggest advantages to this became really clear to me the first time I traveled to Asia with Vscaler. I don't have a VPN client on my laptop, and frankly, it's the first time in pretty much 20 years, the first company that I've worked for that I haven't had that. So I'm accustomed when I travel overseas to doing a little homework in advance and figuring out where is the closest VPN gateway and... You know, Are there any resources that I need to be accessing the European version of that resource rather than the American version just so I don't have to cross the pond? With private access, I got off the plane in Australia and my phone woke up and I had access to my resources. Same with my laptop. So you can really use identity and policy to control who's allowed to go where and then you can have a seamless delivery for a better user experience.
0: Lisa, what are the use cases you'd describe to your prospective customers?
1: Well, the obvious one is an alternative to a VPN. But that isn't always the most useful one. It's a great starting point because, you know, frankly, everybody understands what a VPN is. Most people have it. And in most cases, it's doing well enough, but it's not ideal. However, once you've understood how private access relates to a VPN, we deliver some of the same functionality but we remove some of the speed bumps of a vpn then you can start to think about how that applies to other use cases and so non-obvious use cases at least to me at first where let's say an organization is migrating an application from the data center to the cloud or they have a legacy set of applications in the data center but they have a cloud first initiative for anything new Or even they're doing data center consolidation after they've done a big migration to the cloud. In all of these cases, you have a resource moving from one location to another. And normally, you would have a lot of overhead, both for the administrators to recreate security policies to address the new environment, and for the user who now needs to be educated on how to find the application in its new environment. With zero trust network access solutions, if you find a cloud based service that is user and application centric, you can really abstract away a lot of that overhead so that the configuration doesn't necessarily have to change in terms of access policy when the application migrates from the data center to the cloud. Or the user experience doesn't have to be different accessing an application in one cloud provider or another cloud provider or the data center itself. So I would say that app migration is one of those use cases. And then another one is mergers and acquisitions. Traditionally, when an organization acquires another company, there's a burning desire to integrate the two networks so you can get as much benefit as quickly as possible out of the acquisition. You need to connect key personnel in the acquiring company with critical resources in the acquired company and vice versa. And the way that we always used to do that was we would order circuits to interconnect the two environments. And the delivery of those circuits could take anything from days to weeks, depending on your service provider. But that's okay, because you needed a little bit of that time to do the kind of security hygiene assessment and to do the network assessments to see, do you have appropriate security controls in the acquired company? What about IP overlap? Everybody's on RFC 1918 space in the data centers. The chances that you're both in the same segment of the 10 net are pretty high. So there's a lot to plan around. And then you have to figure out how to address that with NAPs and ACLs and maybe proxies at the interconnection of a few networks. This whole process can take anywhere from weeks to months, depending on the size of the organizations and the complexity of the integration. With a cloud service that connects users to applications, you can bypass a lot of that for the user-to-machine communications. And you can just say, okay, we're going to put a component in the acquired network that makes the applications visible to the parent company." or we're gonna add key personnel at the acquired company into the parent company's authentication data store, or even just tie in the acquired company's whole backend IDP. So you can easily give users at the parent company access to resources in the acquired company just by putting the connector in to make those applications accessible over the solution. And you can give users in the acquired company access to resources in the parent company by tying in the backend identity and access management tools. So those are two good ones, app migration and mergers and acquisitions. The other half of M&A is divestitures and spinoffs. And I would say that that's really a subcase of a larger case, which is third-party access in general. Whether it's partners, contractors, vendors, divested employees, you want to give a very specific user community access to a particular application or set of applications but you really don't want to connect them to your network in this case. And you do need full visibility and control over where they go. So third-party access, whether it's a spin-off or a partner or a contractor, is another big driver for the granularity and the flexibility of that kind of VTNA solution.
0: Lisa, yeah, so a couple of quick questions I want to get in before we wrap up here. And one is about speed bumps, which you mentioned. What speed bumps should organizations expect to hit? as they adopt these technologies? Well,
1: for one thing, if you'd come to me at Blue Cross and told me that I could do this 20-some years ago, I would have said, great. I would love to connect my users to my applications, but my problem is I don't know who to connect to what. So in a lot of cases, organizations don't necessarily have visibility into all of the applications that are running on their network, let alone who is accessing those applications versus who's supposed to be. And that can be really intimidating, to be honest. So, when you look at a solution like this, one thing to look for is the ability for the solution to help you solve that problem, to run in a mode where it allows you to take a pilot set of users that you trust and observe what they're doing day to day and use that observation to feed your visibility into what you need to allow and what is actually present. So, an example of that would be. With zscaler private access we have the ability to do application discovery where you allow access to a broad application domain and then as users access those resources the system builds for you a list of the applications and who is accessing what you can then use that to create more granular access policies that can exist in parallel with the open application discovery policy so it really gives you a glide path to go from the open network access of an IPsec VPN to the granular user-to-application-specific policy enforcement of a Zero Trust network solution. Another speed bump I'd watch out for is trying to do too much all at once. I think that there's a lot of interest in Zero Trust network access today. And I also think that it's easy to get a little overwhelmed by all the possibility. So where we see the most successful deployments are where there's very clear environment that ZTNA is a good solution to an existing problem and you can focus on solving a very well-scoped problem. As you do so, you can learn from that and then apply those lessons to the next problem in the chain. So you might start with third-party access because you know exactly who your users are and your applications, or you might start with app migration, cloud migration, because again, you know exactly what apps are moving from the data center to the cloud. And as you're delivering the solution to that one use case, then you can be using that time to also build the database of information that you need to expand to less well understood use cases. So I would say, think small, at least initially, and know that you can use a solution to lay the building blocks for a larger deployment down the road.
0: Lisa, final question. If you could boil it down to a single piece of advice, what would you say to security leaders looking now to embrace Zero Trust Network Access?
1: I would say that there's no silver bullet, that Zero Trust Network Access is a great concept that's been adopted by a number of different organizations and, frankly, a number of different vendors who deliver different solutions. So, I would say that the first thing you need to do is identify the problem that you think you're trying to solve, and then talk to a trusted partner, talk to a vendor or two in the space, look at the wonderful reports that have come out of Gartner on zero trust network access, and really figure out what's going to be the best fit for you, what's best going to enable you to understand your existing environment, and then offer you a manageable migration path from your existing security controls to a model like this in the future.
0: Very good, Lisa. Thank you so much for your time and insight today.
1: Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
0: Again, we've been talking about zero trust network access. I've been speaking with Lisa Lorenzen, Director Emerging Technology Solutions with Zscaler. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.